Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome to week three of the walkthrough with me, Jamie Hoyle, and our special guest, Arif Hassan from the Norse Code podcast. Arif, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Oh, you're welcome. I know our, we have a lot of people in our audience that listen to you and love you, so they're excited to have you on this week. So there's a lot of talk in our Discord about having the great Arif Hassan on and what it's going to do for the show. So I'm, I'm looking to ride your coattails today. <laughs> uh, whatever you say, I just, I'll, I'll, I'll believe everything. Sure. <laughs> All right. So week three, we've got Chargers and Vikings. So we're going to talk a little bit about the game, talk about some storylines heading into the game, um, and talk some matchups and see and probably make a prediction at the end and kind of see see where the conversation takes us. So it's hard to talk Chargers and Vikings after two weeks without addressing the elephant in the room. So we'll just get it out right, get it out of the way, right of the way. Close games. What Oof. in the world is it going to take for one of these two teams to win a one score game? I, I, so a lot of people have been in my mentions saying that they're pretty confident that this is going to be a tie. It's like hard to like push back. It's like, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. That one makes sense to me. <laughs> It's it's tough. The Vikings were really bad in close games in 2021, and then they were just like meteorically good in 2022. Just like astounding. I can't believe it. What's going on here? Type good in 2022. And then, of course, you know, 0-2 the very next season, which is how all of this really works out, right? Like you can't be consistently good at close games. The way you get good at football is not by winning close games. It's by making games not close, right? And so that's that's like really the key. You know, whichever team you know, avoid, because I know both of these teams are relatively efficient when you take away turnovers, right? So it's that I think is going to, and it's so boring for an analyst to say, well, whichever team wins the turnover battle, but it really feels like this is kind of the area where both teams have like an enormous opportunity to improve. So, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, I think that's, that's the real, like someone's going to win a close game, I bet. Um, historically, I, that's probably the Vikings. I mean, the Chargers have been just dramatically unlucky in close games, but like, yeah, who knows? Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, you mentioned how, how one, one score games are always up and down for everybody, but that's not really the case for the Chargers. It's never been the case for the Chargers. <laughs> one score games are a nightmare. If they're not winning by two scores, they're probably not going to win. So, and they don't win by two scores a whole lot anymore anyway. So yeah, I think, you know, turnovers are obviously going to play a big factor, which, like you said, is kind of cliche. Anybody can say that. I think for the Chargers, you know, they really have to win the third quarter. This is a team that tends to close the first half out pretty well. They almost always go into a lull in the third quarter, 
and they've got a race to play catch up and try to win the game in the fourth quarter. So I think a big focus for the Chargers this week and this season has to be improving on their abysmal third quarter offensive production from what they had last year and what they've had the first two weeks this year. Well, so to, to that end, like um, changing an offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, right? Everyone was talking about how good the offensive coordinator was like two, three years ago. And then people got a little bit disenchanted with what he was able to do with the Cowboys. I mean, how, what has been kind of, you know, the, the temperature on Moore? Are people really happy or are people just more focused on like, let's get Brandon Staley out of here. They're not really having this conversation about Kellen Moore. I think most people are pretty happy with Moore. Um, I think if you're really watching the games closely, what you see is we, they're, they're putting themselves into positions to win with in different ways. So week one, the passing game wasn't really clicking, which is super frustrating for a team that's quarterbacked by Justin Herbert and has, you know, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and all those guys to throw to. You would expect them to be more efficient throwing the ball. And they had a very kind of college gimmicky horizontal passing attack week one, uh, which seemed like it was really just designed to complement what was a really good running game. It was the best running game in the league week one. And then last week, they built a lead primarily through the passing game. They were not running the ball that well against Tennessee. And they were able to throw the ball down the field. They were finding plays in the seams, um, in the middle of the field, behind the linebackers, and in front of the safety. And they were starting to challenge areas of the field that Justin Herbert hasn't traditionally challenged with two deep safeties. And so I think... The, the ability to shift the game plan week to week based on the opponent is huge because that didn't happen at all the last couple of years with Joe Lombardi. It was the same game plan every week. Um, and they've shown the ability to be efficient running the ball and be efficient passing the ball. They just haven't done it both in the same game. So I think if they can put those two things together and like Staley's been talking about, marry them and have the have the running game kind of fuel the passing game and create more opportunities downfield. I think they'll have more success, but you know, they're, they're working some things out, new offense, new terminology. Um, you know, and the starter didn't play in the preseason, so they didn't get these reps outside of camp. So, it's, and it's different, you know, practice versus game. The speed is different. The intensity is different. So they're still figuring out what works and what doesn't, but I think overall Moore's done a pretty good game and yeah, everybody's focused on firing Brandon Staley. <laughs> how about how about with the vikings what what's the offense been like and and how are things working i know obviously the big storyline is Justin jefferson first two weeks but what's what's but yeah he's doing all right yeah working. he's been yeah. all right <laughs> um so again if you if you and i know you can't just like get rid of turnovers but i, I think it provides appropriate context to say this if you get rid of turnovers from every offense in the league and the ability to avoid turnovers is a skill. So this is not, you know, me saying that this is the case, but if you remove turnovers from every offense in the league, number one, Miami dolphins based off of, you know, sorry, but based off of what we've seen, you know, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Number two is the Minnesota Vikings, right? They're like, just in terms of EPA per play, right? They're remarkably good at moving the ball down the field, getting into scoring range, and then, you know, Justin Jefferson fumbles, uh, you know, at the point one yard line, fumble goes out the back of the end zone. It's a touchback, you know, whatever you want to think about the rule. That's what happened. Uh, you know, Kirk Cousins throws like three inches behind KJ Osborne. It's in the crook of his arm. It gets plucked out of his arm for an interception. Um, Ed Ingram, you know, knocks the ball off the snap out of Kirk Cousins' hands. Uh, I mean, like th these are all... Uh, turnovers that first of all the vikings haven't recovered a single fumble um but these are all turnovers that have occurred in scoring distance in fact often in the end zone basically um before the vikings have the opportunity to turn something like an expected point position into like real points that count towards winning actual football games and and that's depressed their real scoring and then there are other cases where like defensively the vikings um are a slightly above average defense when you when you eliminate turnovers entirely but you know, that's maybe a suggestion that the Vikings should cause more turnovers. But like defensively, it's it's kind of a somewhat similar story. There's a drive from the week one against the Buccaneers where they give up three points without giving up a single yard, right? Which I, I know that happens to every team, but at the moment, you know, that those kinds of drives where it's like a limited yardage but points, um, those kinds of drives constitute a decent chunk of the amount of points that they've given up. Now, the defense still has a lot to work on. It's 
pretty personnel deficient. They have a new defensive coordinator that they're really happy with, but the offense is causing problems for both the offense in terms of scoring and the defense in terms of preventing scores. And so when you can kind of isolate which, which the problems are real problems or which of the problems come from what you can get a sense of how good this offense could really be because yeah, cousins is playing really outstandingly good football. I've, I've seen cousins play some of the best football you've ever seen. And then, you know, for the next three weeks, it's, it's like bottom tier stuff. So I'm not saying we're going to see that for the rest of the season because he's streaky. I mean, that's just what happens. Right. So sometimes he puts together, these amazing, you know, basically months of play. Like there's like just four weeks where he plays. Like, I think he's won NFC offensive player of the month, like nearly every year of his career with the Vikings. And you know, what has that turned into? Right. So um, right now he seems to be kind of in the middle of the, of this outstanding stretch of play. It hasn't turned into a bunch of points yet, but for the most part, people are pretty happy with the production of the offense. I still have some concerns. I think that offensive line is a big concern. I think that they're not doing enough to protect Cousins in, the, in that uh, in that context. And, you know, based on what I said, you might think I think that Cousins is this amazing quarterback. He's not. He's a very good quarterback, but he needs the right circumstances to succeed. I mean, one of the things that differentiates him from Justin Herbert is that Herbert is very good under pressure. I mean, that's the thing that he got known for his rookie year was his performance under pressure, his ability to adapt and improvise. And, and that's not something that Cousins has been able to do a lot. He did a lot last year. I don't know if that's like, that's historically just not a skill that he has under pressure. He's been, you know, there's been some kind of back and forth in terms of how good he can be, but certainly he is a quarterback that benefits more than most quarterbacks from a stable, clean pocket. And the Vikings have not been able to provide that for him on a consistent basis, especially with that interior offensive line as weak as it, which is why they hired Dalton Risner or signed Dalton Risner um, just a bit ago. We don't know, you know, where he's going to start or if he's going to start or what, what the plan is there, but that's it. Obviously, Justin Jefferson, I think, Really good argument. He's the best receiver in the league. I think most people just kind of agree on that now. A couple of weeks down the road, I'm sure we'll have an argument with like Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill and so on. But for now, people think Justin Jefferson fairly is the best receiver in the league. And Jordan Addison is playing really well. He's got two games of 60 plus yards, which is, you know, first two games. Everyone's talking about Puka Nakua, and they should right now, best rookie. But it's pretty rare for a rookie receiver to have the production that Jordan Addison is having. It's just Zay Flowers is producing more. Pukunuku is producing more uh, in the first two games of their career, but he's playing very well. I happen to think that it's a little bit fluky, so we're not going to see him consistently produce at that level, but he's a very good big play threat. Then you've got TJ Hawkinson and the Vikings have figured out very, they figured out last year very quickly how to make Hawkinson and Jefferson complement each other in these really devastating ways that allow them to take advantage of how much gravity Jefferson has, or on some plays, Hawkinson's going to have more gravity just because of the coverage that's called or, or what people expect, take advantage of the gravity that Hawkinson has. So a really excellently designed offense. I thought from a play design perspective, their performance against the Eagles is some of the best I've seen from like an offensive coordinator type, uh, you know, evaluation. Um, some pretty bad drops, obviously uh, cousins is, is partially responsible for at least two of those fumbles um that that he's been subject to i think the third one where an offensive lineman knocks out of his hand i'm not gonna hold it against him but he's partially responsible for those fumbles and he used to have a big fumble problem so maybe that's rearing its head again uh but you know there's some other issues as well but i'm pretty optimistic about this offense i think it's it's um maybe do is the wrong term but i think it's set up to score a lot of points probably not going to finish second in the nfl by the time it's all done but right now that's kind of where they're positioned so you mentioned pressure you know, people getting getting to Cousins and causing pressure. Is that a function of the interior guys not playing well in Cleveland and, and Ingram? Is that a function of Garrett Bradbury not being healthy and not being on the field? Or is that kind of a, a combination of both? Well, it's all of those play a role, as does the fact that Cousins holds onto the ball a little bit longer than a quarterback in his position typically does. It, he makes up for it with these big plays. So that doesn't bother me, but you can't really blame all of the pressure entirely on this offensive line. That's it. The interior offensive line is one of the weaker ones in the league. And I know I'm talking to Chargers fans when I say that, right? Like I know, <laughs> you know, like, like that, that it's kind of a, but I mean, over the, since like 2015, the Chargers uh, and the Vikings have had some of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. And a lot of that is, is built off of uh, this history of injury that both teams have had along the offensive line. Um, but a lot of it is just sometimes the guys that they get are just not as good as we expect them to be. Uh, and right now, uh, you know, Ed Ingram, I think is, is one of the least reliable guards in the NFL. 
and he's causing a lot of problems, not just, you know, he's causing a random fumble here or there, but also he's giving up pressure really quickly. He seems kind of, he doesn't have very much uh, feel in, in a lot of ways. And by that, I mean, like when he's on a double team run blocking, he doesn't know when to get off the double team. He just doesn't have that kind of feel when he has um, a man assignment in pass protection. He doesn't know that he should probably abandon that when his center has him and there's a blitzer coming, right? Like that's not technically in your assignment, but a lot of offensive linemen can intuit that they should break their assignment to do that sort of thing. Christian Derrissaw does that, right? Um, And you got to be good enough to know when to break the rules. And right now Ingram is not good enough to do that. And sometimes he just gets beat off the snap. I mean, he just loses off the snap, right? And so that's, that's a huge problem. Cleveland was a significant liability from pass protection perspective last year. This year, he's playing a little bit better. I, I'm not going to suggest that he is an above-average pass protection guard. I think as a run blocker, he's actually quite good. But um, as a as a pass protection guard, I would say he's still below average. It's just not as alarming as it was before. And Austin Schlotman is both, you know, in, in playing in place of Garrett Bradbury, is both playing above my expectation and is also a problem because I just don't expect a lot out of backup offensive linemen. Maybe that's just by history covering the Vikings coming to the fore, but it's it's bad across the league. Right. Uh, and so he's not playing remarkably well, but way better than I thought he would. So, uh, you know, long answer. But I think that that um, kind of gives you some sense of kind of what's happening, which I mean, I think to 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 the Chargers end, I mean, the offense, as far as I know, the Chargers offensive line is healthier than I remember it being for a little bit. Has that been like a huge boon? Is that kind of where some of the some of the excitement or optimism comes from? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you've got, you know, Lindsley in the center who is healthy and, you know, calling the protections and, and getting guys lined up Slater's back, which is huge. Cause now you don't have Jamari Sally you're playing left tackle. I mean, he's Slater is probably one of the top four or five tackles in the league. Um, and then you've got the new guard tandem. You know, last year, um, Matt, uh, Matt Filer was awful at left guard yeah. last year. He really struggled. Having Zion there has been, an upgrade. Zion's had a couple of struggles. He got beat late in the Dolphins game. He got beat late again last week. Uh, but he's been really, really good in the run game. They are establishing a really exciting identity in the run game as a downhill power running attack. Whereas in years past, they were really an outside zone scheme and they just weren't suited for it. So having two hosses like um, like Zion and like Salyer playing guard who are able to pull and get out in space and pick guys up at the second, second level has been really big for them. And Pipkins for the most part has been pretty good. He, he exceeded my expectations last year. Um, he had a little bit of a struggle at the end of the dolphins game, but the whole line did the, the whole line broke down at the end there in the fourth quarter. Uh, but overall they've done a pretty good job of protecting Herbert. They've been good to at times great in the run game and they've been healthy and they've been much better than I think anything the Chargers have had probably since 2009, if not longer, maybe 2006. Wow. I mean, wow. that's how long it's been. Yeah. I mean, we've had a revolving door of, I mean, just terrible offensive linemen. I mean, Trent Scott playing left tackle and, you know, all just all kinds of Mike Schofield playing guard. And you know, uh, what's crazy. Um, Mike Harris, uh, who was not a very good tackle for the Chargers, if I remember correctly. He was not. <laughs> um, he comes He comes to the Vikings, plays a little bit of tackle, and it's, it's not going great. It's going better than it did with the Chargers, but it's not going great. And then uh, he moves to guard, and he plays lights out. He is this tremendously good guard. And then he just has like a, an illness, like a brain illness, and he just can't – he retires from football. Um, and it's like, oh, my gosh, this this guy – for both of these teams that have historically bad offensive lines, was playing really poorly, finally found a chance to kind of reclaim what he can do. And and then suddenly, like, his Uber driver notices that he's just bleeding from his nose. He has to go to the hospital, and now he can't play football ever again. Like, it's just like, oh, oh you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. And Mike Harris was one of the names I was trying to remember, and I couldn't remember it. So you basically read my mind there. So thank you for that. <laughs> there's a mike mike something i can't place it it was mike harris yeah. so thank you we're we're, we're synced up there perfect yeah and we also uh we also share i think storm norton was a charger right yes yes and we're all very glad that he's a viking now <laughs> 
we're we're sorry, but we're not really sorry. We'll put it that way. <laughs> he's tall. I'll give him that. <laughs> he's a he's a big boy. That's about all he's got going for him. <laughs> um. So let's talk a little bit about scheme. What what kind of offensive concepts or schemes do you think we could see from the Vikings? We being the Chargers, and I can't believe I just used we on a podcast, but. Uh, what kind of offensive schemes do you think the Chargers will see from the Vikings on Sunday, uh, you know, designing things to get Jefferson open or get Hawkinson open or maybe even get the ball to uh, to Addison? Yeah, so some of the things that we've seen, like just from a running perspective, it's what you'd expect from a McVay-Shanahan type offense where it's a bunch of wide zone. They, you know, they manipulate some things here or there where maybe they don't actually attack the outside of the wide zone like you'd expect. But, you know, it's basically it's it's zone running. And um, right before, you know, O'Connell arrived, you know, with um, it, with Mike Zimmer and the Kubiak type schemes, you'd expect it to have been similar. And in a lot of ways it was, but they tried a more diverse running game then where you had a lot more power where you had a lot more like gap style runs and now there's a lot less of it. They still have it, right. They still have, you know, they're still running power. O sometimes, right. I mean, it's just like, those are the things that you expect to see in a running game, but it is very much focused on making sure that they can win the outside zone, the inside zone. And then they'll fold in some, some, some man running concepts. And it's honestly a little bit better that they do it sometimes because Madison, uh, Alexander Madison, the running back, um, yeah, I mean, his one cut is actually a lot better than people think. I mean, he is kind of a zone style runner in that he can plant and go, but there's just kind of a, he can't stretch, right? Which is kind of what you really hope for in a wide zone. He can't get to the edge fast enough. Uh, and so sometimes they'll have to throw in some of this power stuff just so that, you know, hey, you're following a guard, make sure that the rapper gets up to the second level and gets that guy. So, you know, they'll, they'll mix that some of that stuff in, but it is primarily a zone running thing. And then that allows them to build play action off of it. They're not as heavy of a play action team as I would have expected coming out of McVay. Last year, they didn't run play action as much as I like. This year, they're running it a little bit more. But it is not a, you know part of the bread and butter as much as it was with the Kubiaks. And so um, we're seeing, you know, hey, they're going to run zone. They're going to run play action off of that zone. They're going to have Kirk Cousins naked, so they're not going to they're not going to protect him. But that gives them another guy in the flats. And Cousins is so good at play action. He's so good at figuring out. I mean, it, it's it's a half field read. So that simplifies it, but he's a very quick decision maker. Um, he's much better throwing on the run than you'd expect. So, I mean, that's, you know, really good for kind of a rollout type scheme. Uh, and, and he knows whose targets are and how to get to them. And so um, there's a little bit of that, but a lot of times, a lot of this, the, the, the offense from down to down, especially because they throw the ball so much, um, just a, just a normal drop back passing scheme. A lot of times it's, yeah, you'll see some of the stuff that you see from every offense, like you know, your normal, you know, double slants or daggers or whatever. But a lot of times it's like kind of boutique play design where they design a play specifically for kind of some of the unique coverages they see from the opposing defense, which they even did it against the Eagles. And the Eagles, they played on the road on a short week. I think it's four days between games. And so for them to be able to install plays were very specific to the way the Eagles have shown their coverage in the past, you know, understanding that Jefferson is going to get not just a double team, but this kind of double team that puts defenders in this position, you know, you're going to have some trail opportunities here and there putting Hawkinson in that particular void. Right. And so there is some very specific game planning that comes from taking a look at what that defense specifically does and finding ways to attack it. They've become very good at attacking the Fangio style defenses that, you know, Brandon Staley is known to run um, the quarter, quarter, half type um safety set or, or deep uh, coverage setup that we see a lot of times they'll, you know, attack the, the near safety in quarter, quarter, half and cover six with a crosser and then just run a guy over top of it and make that safety, make a choice, make sure that that guy's always wrong. And what, what benefit of that is that it is an inherently explosive passing system. Either you get Jefferson open or you get Hawkinson um, and Hawkinson is a good seam runner. They don't really use him like an explosive tight end. And I think that's just kind of one of the sacrifices that you make to get Jefferson and Addison open. But like, you know, if it's not there, you get, you get Hawkinson for nine yards, but Addison is this burner. They've been using him a lot on these kind of, again, designed plays where Jefferson runs something underneath Addison shoots up. And most of the time that ball goes to Jefferson, but sometimes it doesn't. And cousins knows that, Hey, this play has an alert. If they just abandon Addison, I'm going to throw it to him, which you know, some quarterbacks just can't do. They they really need, you know, the the if-thens, right? Like that's, um, I think Benjamin Solak had a great video about how Jared Goff doesn't do that, but Matthew Stafford does, right? And that's, um, Cousins is becoming more of that kind of quarterback where, hey, this thing has changed a little bit. Let's take a look at that. So 
that's kind of what you're seeing from the offense. There's an intermediate throwing aspect to it that's pretty heavy. There's an explosiveness aspect to it that's pretty heavy. And then to complement that, they don't throw it short that much, but they will throw screens. And so instead of having a heavy slant or flat game, it's going to be more screens. Uh, and I know some Vikings fans hate it. Honestly, I, I think it's fine, and you need to have those in your offense, especially when your offensive line is as bad as it is. Like, you cannot have a pure explosive passing game if your offensive line is as bad as it is. So, a lot of screens. All right. Yeah, I think um, some of the things that we're seeing from Kellen Moore with the Chargers offense that's making it different, and I mentioned some of them earlier, number one is a difference in the running game. Going from more of that outside zone to more of a downhill power attack has been huge for them. It really suits all their running backs really well. Um, and I mentioned as well, last week what we started to see was they got away from the horizontal passing attack and they were looking for chunk plays in the middle of the field. They started attacking the seams. They did it with Mike Williams a couple times. They did it with Keenan. They did it with Stone, Stone Smart. Uh, they're trying to find opportunities to get Mike Williams the ball in space. So they're running more like quick slants and digs and things like that with him, uh, trying to get him the ball on the move in space which is working really well. They haven't really pushed the ball down the field a whole lot, but they are getting more of those 15 to 20 yard chunk plays that kind of jumpstart drives and, and get things going. And they're attacking that void between the linebackers and the safeties, which is something they really didn't do for the last two years. So. Yeah. Which given Herbert's arm, like, what are you doing? Right. Yeah, I know. Right. I, that's why the horizontal passing game week one was so frustrating because it looked just like the Lombardi on yeah, I mean, they're, yeah. they're throwing, you know, bubble screens to Mike Williams, who, I mean, he's a big guy, but he's not that fast. He's not going to make people miss. Um, you know, they're checking down a lot to, to uh, Eckler. They're checking down a lot to the tight ends underneath. They're not really getting the chunk plays. Um, and they took some shots down the field week one, but it was only a couple and they missed most of them. Last week, they took a few more. They they weren't that great on the the, you know, the deep stuff, but they were really good in the intermediate deep areas. Um, so that that's kind of where the offense is evolving. And I think we'll see more of that moving forward. Hopefully the running game is working for them uh, this week and they can run more play action and get the ball down the field that way. Um, I would like to see more bootleg to Justin Herbert. He's kind of become a sitting target in the pocket. Uh, whereas in the, his first year, they were moving him around a lot. A lot of naked bootlegs having him throw on the run. They're not doing that as much. Uh, I'd also really like to see them use his legs as part of the running game. Um, I think, I think we'll yeah, see it. At some athletic point. guy, yeah, yeah, he's like a very athletic it. guy. He was very effective running the ball in college, and they just haven't asked him to do that for whatever reason. the The Lynn the Lynn staff asked him to run a little bit more for whatever reason. Staley just doesn't want him to do it, and I don't know if it's a, if they're trying to protect him or what the deal is. But I'd like to see them free him up a little bit more get him out on the edge of the defense, particularly on third and short and in the red zone and give him a chance to use his legs to make plays. I think it'll just add a wrinkle to the offense that teams aren't necessarily ready for. Well, so kind of speaking of, of, of ways to, you know, grow and, and evolve the offense, like what, what's the feeling on Quentin Johnston? It feels like there's not been much involvement <laughs> um, at all. Um, like, you're taking like because there's like there's a lot of ways to use a three receiver offense. Kellen Moore knows, right? <laughs> like is yeah. And so so to so to me, it feels like because I mean it's Seattle, which usually runs a lot of two wide receiver, they're finding ways to get Jackson Smith and Jigba involved. Obviously, we saw what Cincinnati did, but Kellen Moore in Dallas was able to say, "Hey, Ceedee Lamb and Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper or whoever you know the the third guy is going to be right. We we know how to use these guys all together to you know." And they would consistently feel three receivers, right? And it just feels like it feels like that's not the issue. It feels like it's not like, hey, we don't know how to put three receivers on the field and, and maintain that core identity. It feels like it might be a Quentin Johnston thing. It could be. It's interesting because the first name you mentioned with the Cowboys, CeeDee Lamb, when they drafted Quentin Johnston, we one of my co-hosts has a, a contact with the Chargers who told him they envisioned him taking that CeeDee Lamb role when they drafted him, that Kellen Moore pounded the table, so to speak, for Quentin Johnson. And he said, I want him. He's my CeeDee Lamb. I need him to make this offense run. So we all figured he'd have a fairly big role immediately coming out of the draft. And that just hasn't happened. Uh, he had some issues with dropping the ball in preseason and in camp, particularly late in camp. Uh, excuse me. Um, I, you know, for me, it feels like they just don't have a plan for him. And it kind of also feels like 
they haven't figured out how he's different from Mike Williams and Keenan Allen and Josh Palmer yet. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like they're giving Mike Williams a lot of the touches that Quentin Johnson should be getting. A lot of those bubble screens, smoke screens, get him the ball in space, have him make somebody miss and pick up seven, eight, nine, ten yards or more. Uh, that was something that he excelled at in college in addition to the deep stuff. And they just haven't – they've been giving those touches to Mike Williams and it's not really his thing. Just yeah, like it, it feels like a poor out. fit, right? Yeah. yeah, Yeah, it's a really poor fit. And they've got a guy on the roster who they got for his yak ability, and now they're, they're not using him. So part of me wonders if they're just making him earn it. He came out early in training camp and said he already had wide receiver three locked up. I mean, like a week into mini camp. He was like, oh, I'm wide receiver three. I've got it locked up. And so they might just be teaching the rookie a lesson about, hey, you know, let's keep this stuff in house and you're going to have to earn your snaps. I mean, okay, I get it. That's an expensive lesson, right? Because it's two close games, two losses, right? <laughs> like that's an, it like, it's a even, very expensive lesson. And yeah. I think part of it might also be, honestly, Joshua Palmer, he is not as talented as Johnson is, but he's a good wide receiver and he earned his snaps last year. So he yeah, earned and, the right to be on the field this year. Well, and he, and he had some big moments these last two games. Like it's not yeah. as if he's like this pure liability. So I, I get it. I, I, I wonder if it's the lesson thing, but I just, at some part of me also feels like if he could be a meaningful upgrade over Josh Palmer, at least in these two games, right? Um, he probably would be. And, you know, it's not the end of the world. Justin Jefferson didn't start the first two games for the Vikings, right? So, you know, these things happen. But yeah, I mean, uh, he played, Johnston played, I think, 22 snaps in the first, first week, and it was fewer than that last week. And so you'd like to see if he's on the field that they're at least drawing something up for him take advantage of what his unique skill set is and they haven't even done that it seems like he's on the field as a decoy right now so Darius Davis has more touches so far than Quentin Johnson does and he was a fourth round pick so make sense of that for me (laughs) I I I think they're probably making him earn it but it is it's frustrating people because they they figured he was going to be getting those deep passes and it just hasn't happened yet um it seems like the Vikings defense played pretty well week one, then they had their struggles last week. What what is what's kind of holding them back? What are they what are they struggling with? What are they doing well right now? I think from a total roster perspective, the Vikings have one of the worst defensive personnel groups in the NFL, which is tough because they have some extremely talented players. It makes it really difficult for you to, to feel confident saying that like Daniel Hunter is playing lights out and he's, and whenever he's been healthy, he's played lights out. He's a very good um, producer, right? Byron Murphy. It seems like he's earning his contract. I mean, he was one of the top cornerbacks in free agency. The Vikings signed him. He's playing pretty well. Harrison Smith is a legend and for a pretty good reason, right? I mean, he's a perpetual all pro um, or he was, um, and, and, and that's, you know, been great, but you take a look at this roster as a whole, Marcus Davenport wasn't able to play week one because of an injury. And then week two, he was on and off the field because of injury. And then they just don't have any depth along edge rusher. Harrison Phillips is a very good defensive interior player, but they don't have anyone else. They signed Dean Lowry from the Packers coming off of an off season in the hopes that, Lowry would play more like 2021 than 2022, and that's not materializing. He played very poorly, especially against the Eagles. Um, so, I mean, these are some pretty big problems. They uh, they let go of Eric Kendricks, as you know, um, and uh, and though Kendricks had a pretty poor year last year, that was a situation where, to me, I was just like, it's more likely that the defensive coordinator's problem than Eric Kendricks. Um and I think that's borne out, but, um, but you know, they, they, they did need to move on from a number of players and Kendricks was one of them. And, uh, you know, Jordan Hicks is to me, not a very good linebacker and they're figuring out the other linebacker position. It's either Brian Asmoa third round pick from last year, or Ivan Pace, who, uh, is this just phenomenal undrafted free agent rookie, uh, from this year. Um, he's getting it. He's out snapping Asmoa, which, and he's playing really well at the things he's asked to do. He is not being asked to play a wide variety of roles typically expected of a starting linebacker. And so others have to kind of cover for the fact that he's not going to always hit his coverage landmarks. And so the Vikings are not going to ask him to always play coverage. They're just going to blitz him. He's one of the best blitzing linebackers already in the NFL. And so they're just like, well, go. But that means there's some coverage voids. And now Jordan Hicks, who was a super athlete when he came out in the draft, like in 2014 or whenever it was, is now a step slower. And so he just can't do it. 
Um, you've got players like Harrison Smith who are playing below their career averages. I think Smith has lost a step. You've got players like Cameron Bynum that are playing lights out. Bynum is playing so well. It's fantastic. Um, you've had issues where, you know, the Vikings play a lot, a lot of three safety. They don't really play as much three corner. They play a lot of three safety. Josh Metellus got hurt last game. They put in Theo Jackson. Theo Jackson, the fourth safety on your roster is a special teams guy, right? He's not going to be good from scrimmage. And Theo Jackson played out of his mind, but he was still the fourth safety. So he gave up a big play, right? And it wasn't even his fault, really. He got mossed. I mean, that's just that just happens. He was in the right spot. He played it perfectly. Didn't get pass interference, but guys make plays, right? So um, that's kind of like, those are kind of the things that happen. Caleb Evans, the starting corner, um, he's playing a lot better than you expect a second year, fourth round corner to play. So from an investment perspective, the Vikings are getting their money's worth, but he's a starter. And now the expectations are that he consistently plays well as a starter. And he is mostly getting saved by the fact that the Vikings are getting pressure with their blitz scheme more than he is his like sticky coverage. He's like losing guys on occasion. And so that's kind of what's happening is that I imagine a lot of the players that I named are not players that most fans are familiar with their names, right? If I did this in 2017 and I was like, yeah, they got, you know, Xavier Rhodes is playing really well. Trey Waynes is finally playing really well. Harrison Smith is playing lights out. Neil Hunter is, is, you know, is killing it. Everson Griffin is having this. Everyone knows who those guys are. If you follow the NFL, like reasonably closely, right? Like, but now I'm just like, yeah, so this is who, you know, Kyrus Tonga is. He's getting a lot of snaps and it's like, Okay, some of these guys, you know, maybe deserve a little bit more um, publicity, but not a lot. They're not amazing players. Um, and and some of them are playing way better than you expect. But the thing is, the Vikings just haven't invested in 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 the defense enough for you to say, if everyone is playing above expectation, it's a good defense. This episode is made possible by PwC. When unprecedented times are all the time, it's time to start walking the talk. Leaders like you turn to PwC to see and stay ahead. Upskill your workforce, use intelligent automation, and transform big ideas into breakthrough outcomes. Explore the human-led, tech-powered solutions that help you thrive. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Because a lot of people are playing above expectation, and it's not. That said, from a success rate perspective, they're very good against the pass. The problem is they're giving up explosives here or there. Now, part of that is just that's what a Brian Flores defense is. You're just going to blitz a lot. Your successes are going to be huge. Your failures are going to be huge. There's not a lot in between. And for the most part, for most Brian Flores defenses, that works out in the aggregate. I mean, in 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 2020, um, the, the Dolphins ranked, like I think they finished sixth in EPA, second in points, right? And that was an okay roster. It wasn't phenomenal. They had some stars like Xavier Howard. They just signed Byron Mur- or Byron Jones. Um, and, but you know, they're, they're playing with like, you know, whoever at edge rushers before they grabbed, um, Jalen Phillips. Right. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of where the Vikings are at is that they've got this kind of okay ish below average roster, some stars here or there. They just, they can't make up for the fact that Darius Smith demanded a trade and ended up getting released. They can't, you know, make up for the fact that Dalvin Tomlinson was too expensive for them to retain in free agency. And so now they're, they're trotting out these guys that are really great to have on a roster, but probably shouldn't be taking, 50 snaps a game. That said, again, pretty good play to play against the pass. It's some of these explosives against the Eagles. It was, they gave up, you know, 259 yards on the ground, which is crazy. Like six and a half yards to carry uh, nearly eight to Deandre Swift. Um, and uh, the guys weren't big enough. That's there's not really much. They have one guy over 300 pounds. Like that's, you're going to get beat up in the run game, especially when the, uh, the offensive line is as good as Philadelphia's. So I, I think for the most part, that's a pretty good model. But when you've got a, a team that is quarterback dominant in terms of the run game, like a, a Jalen Hurts, like a Lamar Jackson or a Daniel Jones or, you know, any Desmond Witter, it seems like is going to be a, a run dominant quarterback. Um, it, when when you're up against that, there's just not a lot of recourse for the way that that current Vikings roster is set up. Um, they're doing a lot. They're overperforming. Brian Flores is 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 doing so much to improve that defense over Ed Donatel. But it, the the horses aren't there, and sometimes they just fall behind. Sometimes, you know, it's Theo Jackson against Devontae Smith, and you're just like, yeah, good luck. <laughs> so let me pull up. I've got some visual aids for us here. Let's talk a little bit about the Vikings' defense versus the Chargers' offense. 
bring that up here. All right. So if you were an offensive coordinator, and you kind of talked about it already, but let's let's hit on it. Let's talk about two or three guys that you would pick on in coverage in the Vikings defense and how you would go about doing that. Yeah, well, so I think first I, that the middle of the of the Vikings defense, you know, you see Hicks and Asamoa. A lot of times, actually, it's going to be Pace instead of Asamoa. Um, I I would pick on that a lot, especially because the Vikings will bring their linebackers up to the line of scrimmage. So they'll have six or seven guys on the line of scrimmage. Um, and one of those linebackers, maybe none, but one of those linebackers are possibly both, but usually one will drop back into coverage, right? That's a tough task, right? A lot of it is to manipulate the pass protection, create one-on-ones and, you know, Zimmer's done this a lot. Flores is doing this a lot. Um, but it creates some problems. In fact, it, it became so much of a problem that the Vikings asked Theo Jackson, the, the fourth safety that I was talking about, they asked Theo Jackson to be a linebacker on some of these plays. And that's how they got a pick off of Jalen Hurts is that is that they had Theo Jackson pretend, or I shouldn't say pretend, but act as a linebacker in a dime package, pretend to rush up the A-gap, and then he just robots back to cover the dig, and he grabs that pick, and it's just like, a linebacker is not going to do that. A linebacker does not have the speed to do that, but that's what they're asking the linebackers to do on a play-to-play basis. So I would play action, attack the middle of the field on a fairly regular basis. I don't know how important or how often we see RPOs in the Chargers offense, but I would imagine if you key your RPO off of, you know, Jordan Hicks, who is such a late blitzer, like the scheme asks him to push forward a lot and he just doesn't trigger for whatever reason he triggers all right against the run. He moves off the snap all right when it's coverage, but when it's a blitz, it just takes him forever to get into the pocket I would absolutely RPO off of that guy. Um, so that's where primarily I would attack. I would attack Hicks, then I would attack Pace or SMO, whoever's out there that snap. And then I would, you know, try and figure out kind of what is that third defensive back situation, right? Is it Josh Metellus? If it is, I would attack him with a shiftier guy. If it's Theo Jackson, I would attack him with a bigger guy. If it's Makai Blackman, I would definitely attack him with a bigger guy. Makai Blackman is like 173 pounds. Like, just to push him. You're fine. Right. <laughs> you know, like, so that's, you know, you'd kind of have to figure out kind of what that setup is going to look like for who the third, um, I shouldn't say third, the fifth defensive back is. Um, and the Vikings will lighten the box a lot. And so they'll take, so you see Lowry Phillips and Bullard there. Well, Bullard is not very good against the run. He's primarily a pass rusher. Lowry gets pushed around a lot in the run. And so if they're there, I would, you know, consider very seriously consider running the ball. And if they're not, you've probably got Kyrus Tonga in there. He's their other 300 pound guy. Um, then you're just like, oh, well, now they're probably not going to be able to rush the passer. So they're going to make up for it by blitzing. Well, where's kind of the hole in that blitz? We're going to vacate it. So that's that's primarily the way I would go about it. It's to cry, try and identify the way that that Vikings, ma- the way that they maximize their players because of how limited the skill set of some of these players are. The way that they maximize those players comes at a pretty serious cost. It's like a I win here and I lose there. And just try to figure out where those players lose because they're not as well-rounded as Kendricks was when he was in a Vikings uniform. They're not as well-rounded as like Fred Warner, which you know, maybe that's not a fair comparison, but you know, if you see Fred Warner blitz, you're, you're not guaranteed that there's going to be a hole in that coverage. Right? right. But when you see, you know, Jordan, you know, you got a little extra time. Jordan Hicks is blitzing. I will wait a second, you know, it'll take him a little bit. So <laughs> we'll see how the play develops kind of thing. But yeah, that's, that's primarily, I mean, honestly, I mean, the Vikings, I think right now are the heaviest blitzing team in the NFL. If not, the Buccaneers and the Vikings were two. Um, drop all your blitz beaters. That's your offense, basically. They'll blitz like 55, 60% of the time. All right. Well, I appreciate that insight. Um, I think if you're looking at the Chargers offense, you know, particularly the offensive line, I think you're testing really Salyer and Johnson in pass protection. And you're trying to see if you can sneak by them when the Chargers are running the ball. They've, been, they've both been really good in the run game. They both had some some breakdowns in the pass in in pass protection, particularly Johnson the first two weeks. So I think you know I wouldn't be surprised to see the Vikings run some stunts and games up front, try to confuse the protection schemes a little bit and get free runs at the quarterback. Um, what we've seen in the first two weeks is there are some weaknesses just in the pass protection scheme for the Chargers. They struggle with wide nine 
you can go wide nine, load one side of the field, and the tackle and the guard will split, and you'll get a free shot at Herbert right through the B gap. So there are opportunities to create free runners there. Hopefully they're working on fixing that, but it's been a big issue the first two weeks, particularly in big spots. Um, and I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I think the Chargers are going to try to find that void between the linebackers and the safeties. I would imagine they will probably try to attack Harrison Smith deep. Uh, he's getting a little long in the tooth. I think they'll probably yeah. try to see if they can get the ball over the top of him at times. And I think they'll attack the seams quite a bit. Try to try to get, pick up more of those 12, 15, 18-yard plays. Maybe create some catch-and-run opportunities up the seam at times. And we know the Chargers are going to come out and try to establish the run, especially if the Vikings are undersized. They were really committed to running against the run against the Dolphins. They tr- they stayed committed to the run against the Titans, although they weren't really able to get much traction with that. I have a feeling that'll probably be different this week. So I think those are some matchups that you're looking at with the Chargers. Um, and let's take a look here at the Vikings offense versus the Chargers defense. So if you are the Chargers defensive coordinator, if you're Brandon Staley and Derek Ainsley, what matchups are you looking for on the offensive line? Um, and what are you doing to try to keep Justin Jefferson from going for buck 50 again? Yeah, no, so this is, I, I think a pretty interesting, um, defense to have to figure out first, because Derwin James can do anything. Right. And so you'd first, the first thing you do, I think every play it's not, Hey, you know, I guess, I guess, um, you know, I, I don't see Joey Bosa here on this, on this little thing. Uh, he was banged up last week. Um, he, oops, he was banged up last week. He will probably play. I don't know how much he'll play. He was a kind of a situational rusher last week. Yeah. And, and he's uh, interesting because it feels like he doesn't have, and I hate saying this about a guy that I think is elite. It feels like he, in that first week that he wasn't, he didn't have it. And, and by that, I don't mean like he's got get off um, and he's got bend, but it felt like he lost his balance a lot. And maybe that's just the opposing offensive lineman, but it felt like he was on the ground a lot more than I've ever seen Bosa do it. And it felt like there was something. So I don't know what's up that, but I think that for the most part, um, you know, Cleo Mack is a great name, but obviously it's just not what he was. The guy that you're looking for is Derwin James and finding ways to see, first of all, what he's going to do and account for it, but finding ways around it. So that is primarily what I'm going to do. Um, other than that, I would, um, if I'm the Vikings offense, I'm taking a look at what Kenneth Murray is doing and I'm attacking mm-hmm. that guy no matter what. Um, I th- like figuring out kind of what gap he's defending. That's probably where I'm going to run the ball, figuring out where his zone landmarks are. That's where I'm going to throw the ball. Um, Neiman is an interesting guy. Um, as a linebacker, I, he did not strike me as particularly athletic in the draft. And then I think he had just amazing testing, just this astounding testing. Um, and so I was like, oh, well, maybe he's actually just a really good special teamer. I don't know that much about him as an NFL linebacker, if I'm being 100% honest. I just know about him in college and kind of what, what my draft takes on him were, but to me, that seems like an area where you could do a little bit of damage and Hey, attacking the chargers linebackers. It feels like that's historically just been something over the past couple of years that the people have tried to do a lot and have been relatively successful. Um, so that's something to kind of, to kind of keep in mind that cornerback group is also interesting because last year they way overperformed, even though JC Jackson dud right like it's like okay so your big free agency cornerback signing means nothing and the cornerback group is still playing really well that's so interesting um i think this is a situation where i would probably keep these guys um moving and by that i mean like you don't have the ability to as easily jam off of press or play with a lot of patience because you're motioning all of these guys and trying to move their landmarks or move uh, them in man coverage. If they're playing in zone, obviously emotion is going to reveal that uh, if they're playing in man coverage, emotion is most likely because now you've got man match rules. So motioning is not as effective in declaring coverages as it used to be, but you've mostly got an idea of kind of who they're going to be covering or, or how that, that coverage is going to play out and stuff like that. And I would keep Jefferson um, particularly Jefferson in motion all around the offense that so you can create these matchups and attack kind of, what what these what these defenses are trying to do. Um I know that that Staley likes to run a lot of quarter quarter half. And so figuring out what Alohi Gilman is doing wow. and, and seeing if he nails the crosser a lot uh when when he's got a quarters assignment. And if he doesn't, you know, having Hawkinson just hit those crossers until Gilman bites and then running something up on top of Gilman um with either Osborne Addison or Jefferson. I think you could do all of those things. Now the Vikings are just not very good at running the ball. 
Um, they're a lot better than I think the statistics would suggest um, because they don't they don't take a lot of tackles for a loss given how poor the run yardage is. Like they're averaging like three point one yards per carry, something so bad like that. But it's there's not a ton of negative plays. It's all like yeah, you ran for one yard, great, good job. Mm-hmm. Um, but primarily they they get almost as much yardage as you need and never more. I think Madison's largest gain this year has been nine yards. He's hit it twice. Uh, and if it, man, it feels like that's, that's basically where the ceiling is at, uh, for him. Um, and a lot of other backs will hit nine yards and then they'll hit, you know, 11 more. And that's just not happening with Madison, but they will get like the four yards you may need on first down. Right. And so that's kind of what the run game looks like. And if I'm taking a look at this, this Chargers interior, unless something has changed a lot about these guys, it feels like for the most part, these guys are pretty movable, right? It feels like these guys, uh, up the middle have, you know, some opportunities to create some space for you. It feels like this has been a consistent problem for the chargers over the past couple of years. It feels like their draft picks at those positions have not really worked out. Um, I, I'm kind of interested in what Tui Pelotu's like role is because to me, when I was, when I was looking at him in the draft, he seemed like a pretty athletic five tech to me. I didn't want him at the edge, but I also didn't think he was big enough for the middle. And so you would occupy this kind of, um, middle assignment that would allow him to be more effective against the run than a lot of edge rushers, more effective against the the rush than a lot of defensive tackles and try and figure out a scheme for him. I don't really know what his role for the Chargers defense is going to be, but if it's going to have to hold up against guards, I would probably see if I can run into him a little bit. Um, yeah, I, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I think that, you know, with Asante Samuel and Michael Davis, uh, I think they've played pretty well last year, but I think the Vikings receivers are just better. So sometimes you get man coverage, just try it. Yeah. I I think those are all fair assessments. Murray he's a guy that people attack every week, week in and week out. He probably had his best game as a charger last week against the Titans. And a lot of it was because they just had him firing downhill. He blitzed a lot. He was really effective in the run game. And surprisingly, you know, I would have expected the Titans to just run the ball down the Chargers' throat. They held Derrick Henry to 80 yards on 23 carries. So they were actually pretty solid in the run game. They got hurt a little bit by Tajay Sears at times, got gashed with a couple big runs. But otherwise, they were pretty steady in the run game, and they held up pretty well. I think, you know, you look at the the Chargers, the Chargers defensive line group, there are no Chargers draft picks outside of uh, Tuli on that list. All those guys are veterans that the Chargers brought in from outside. So – when you say that their draft picks haven't panned out outside of Bosa, you are absolutely right. They, do not, <laughs> they don't seem to value d- defensive linemen very well in the draft. They don't seem to develop them very well. Uh, they've had a really hard time finding guys who can just stay on the field. I mean, Tillery was awful. Um, they've yeah. had one defensive tackle after another who busted up and down the, the draft board. It's just been bad. So, um, you know, Austin Johnson, Nick Williams, Sebastian Joseph. I think those guys are all pretty good on the interior as long as the linebackers are supporting them. And the linebackers have not supported them the last couple of years. And they've had a lot of problems tackling at the third level as well, which is why they've given up so many big runs. So um, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think for the Chargers, they have to create interior pressure. They have to. You can rely on Mac and Bosa and and Thule all you want, but at the end of the day, they have to be able to get in Cousins' face quickly, immediate interior pressure, and that's something they've struggled with for a while now. So I would I would expect to see some some A-gap blitzes, probably with Derwin, yeah. probably with Thule, um, probably with Murray, and I would expect to see some stunts and games up front to try to attack that, that Vikings interior and try to create some pressure, particularly if Bradbury isn't able to play. I think yeah. they will. Yeah. I think they'll try to confuse the backup center and and really attack them that way. Yeah. And I, I think that there's just been kind of a history of communication problems uh, on that interior, especially with Ed Ingram um, that, that would really enable, you know, having those twists and stunts up front. Um, it's interesting because the Vikings would twist and stunt a lot in practices against that offensive line. And it would, kind of shut down. I mean, it made practices difficult, right? Because it would kind of shut down the offense. You'd have to blow the whistle and say how Cousins was sacked. Then they didn't really do it a ton in the first two weeks with a ton of twists and stunts. 
Brian Flores is really well known for having a really well developed and uh, mature like games game essentially, uh, and they haven't done it a lot. So um, I don't know how much this defensive line or this offensive line can react to that sort of thing in live game situations because the Eagles. I mean, the Eagles are just basically we got a bunch of better guys. We're going to rush the passer. They'll twist and stun a fair amount, but it's not to the degree that I would expect if I was game planning against the Vikings. And so if the Chargers are willing to do it and maybe that'll make them a little bit softer against the run, that's kind of one of the risks that you take. Um, but if the Chargers are willing to do it, I think that that could create a lot of havoc, especially because honestly being soft against the run is just not a concern I would have going up against the Vikings right now. Like it's make them earn it, like make them get a 10 yard run before you respect it um, is kind of where I'd be. So I would run a ton of those. Um, I know Mac used to be a really great spinner to go up the middle, and maybe he still is. Um, but that's something I would definitely explore. I think Tui Peloto is a really good uh, asset in in that capacity as well. Get those some of those edge guys on three man stunts onto the inside, into the B and the A gaps um, that I think could really create a lot of problems. Because I mean, Darisaw, I mean, he's injured right now, so he's not playing up to the level that he should be. Um, but like Darisaw is a really high level tackle. O'Neill is a really fantastic right tackle, and beating them straight up like a healthy bosa yeah i mean that makes sense you could do that Quill mac yeah i could see him beating darisaw straight up a couple of times but like why make it difficult you don't have to so i think that that's probably you know kind of what i would do um given all that given what you said about that that charters and like that the way that that charters defense has been set up do you think that is just primarily a personnel and a scouting problem do you think that there's something with the way Brandon Staley runs a defense that just makes it inherently a little bit less stable than it should be. Are these, are these guys underperforming or are they just not as talented as they need to be? Um, I think, well, most of these guys were hurt last year. Uh, you know, Austin Johnson was hurt for a good chunk of last year. He's just coming back from a pretty, pretty bad knee injury. Um, Joseph day has been good in spots, but not consistent. Williams is bringing the team. So we haven't, we haven't really seen a lot of him. Um, I think these are guys who they're veterans who can hold up. They haven't been, you know, dominant by any stretch. They're not difference makers, but I, I think that's kind of, I think that's just kind of how they're building the defense. It seems like they're trying to build the defense from the outside in instead of the inside out. And it just hasn't, it hasn't panned out. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just takes, and you got to hit obviously on your draft picks, but sometimes it just like takes a lot of time to to figure out kind of what the vision of the defense is going to be and and how to make that work out. But um, yeah, I don't know. That's there's <laughs> just like a lot kind of that that needs to to kind of go in the right direction because defense is a, a weak link. Um, fundamentally, it's just a weak link phenomena. Is that 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 your defense is largely only as good as your your worst position. And, and teams will go out of the way to attack it. And it feels like the Chargers have not been able to figure out, you know, ways to shore that up. So, I don't know. The Vikings offense is, like, very good, in my opinion. So, it's, I feel like it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think it probably will. I think if the Chargers are able to run the ball and, and run some play action and get the ball down the field, I think it's going to be a pretty high-scoring game. And if yeah. it's not, the Chargers have some explaining to do with bringing more in and not being able to score on this defense. I think it's going to be problematic. So, We'll see. We'll see how things turn out. So let's let's make a couple predictions here. What do you think? What do you think the the, the final score of this game is going to be? Who's going to win, and what's the score going to be? Uh, like I said, I think it's a high scoring game. Um, I don't know what the over under is. If it's around fifty, that would make a lot of sense, which is at the higher end for the NFL right now. Um, I would say I would probably pick uh, the Vikings. Um, you know, let's make it a close game. Thirty-one twenty-eight. I think you know just. Just tear somebody's heart out, I think. <laughs> and if you're going to tear somebody's heart out, it might as well be the Chargers because that's usually what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go 34-30 Chargers. Oof. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, that'll hurt. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's like, like it's a high-scoring game, probably close, probably a one-score game. Uh, wouldn't be shocked if it came down to the final drive. I think that's probably what's going to happen just with the way these two teams play. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Arif, I really appreciate you coming on. I think this was a great show. I'm sure everybody's going to enjoy it. So uh, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody how they can find you if they want to check out your podcast? 
Yeah, no, for sure. So uh, the Norse Code podcast, uh, you can be fine on like all of the uh, the available podcasting platforms, iTunes, et cetera, Stitcher. We're on Spotify as well. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL. It's A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N NFL. Um, and you can find me on like, I think I'm on threads. I'm Arif Hassan on Blue Sky. I'm Arif dot bsky.social. I was there early, so I was able to just grab my first name, which was nice. Um, but all my written work can be found over at my Substack, which is wideleftpost.substack.com. Um, I, I have a piece. I just talked about Puka Nakua for a little bit. I have a piece about how much I actually think his start is for real. And I compared him, or I guess I contrasted him to Jeremy Lin. So people who are excited about that, uh, check that out. Cool. Well, I'm sure people will. I know we've got a lot of fans of your work in our, in our discord. So I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> so again, thank you. I really appreciate you coming on. I think this was a, a great show, a lot of fun. And uh, we, everybody appreciates it. So thank you very much. Awesome. Yeah, I had a ton of fun. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. So for those of you who don't remember, we have our new schedule out. Obviously, Wednesdays are my day with the walkthrough. Uh, Thursday coming up is our new mailbag show, The Roundtable. Friday, Craig will have his normal I Got Five on it. We'll have the post-game show on Sunday, and then we'll get back to Garrett with Score More next Tuesday. So thanks, everybody. We appreciate you tuning in and supporting us, and we will see you next time.